welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines of the stories that make the Elm City tick. New Haven just doesn't tick. We also see, we click, and we fix. And now the whole world is see, click, fixing along with us. That compound verb was invented right here by the gentleman here in the WNHH studio for today's program, Ben Berkowitz, founder of the digital democracy company we call C-Click Fix. Here's how they describe it. C-Click Fix helps hundreds of communities to resolve millions of issues, over 1.8 million issues fixed. Sort of like the old McDonald's hamburger signs that every three months they'd add another few zeros about hamburger served till they ran out of room. You guys are going to run out of room. Right. So that's how they describe it. What I describe it is the new journalism. Welcome to the studio, Ben Berkowitz. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thanks for coming in. If you want to join in the conversation, you're welcome to tweet us a question or comment at New Haven Indy, but it's just as fine with us if you want to sit back and listen. But in keeping with my theme, we're going to start out with a news report. We have a correspondent here in the studio who's also named Ben Berkowitz, who's going to give us the latest news in New Haven as viewed through C-Click Ben, what are our top stories we're working on at this hour? All right, looks like we got a deceased animal in the street. Uh, it looks like it's at 270 Coharie Drive, New Haven, Connecticut. Little known fact, that was my bus route, went by Coharie Drive when I was a child. Uh, and it was reported about an hour ago. Oh my gosh. What and it kind of uh, looks like Department of Public Works has uh, received the issue and will address it as soon as they can. Thanks so for in other reporting. Words, a, we know what kind of animal. Uh, we do not. Let's see. We don't know what kind of animal is it is, but it was reported by the Department of Public Works. Oh, so this wasn't a citizen. So the Department of Public Works went on your system, C Cliff Fix, and said, hey, there's a dead animal we know about, and we're on the case. We're going to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it could have been a citizen that called in, uh, and then Public Works entered it into the system. So, Ben, what, what, tell me, what was that bus route to school? So I, was, I went to foot school as a child, uh, and we started at my mother's house at uh, Westwood and Alden Road. Uh, and we headed up uh, by Coharie Drive. Up so you went out of your way. You went away from the foot school yeah. to go to a different development. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we crossed uh, probably about 60% of the city every morning. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's fun. So you were kind of starting out a C-Click Fix without even knowing it back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you would see the dead animals. Yeah. But in those days, you couldn't get on a smartphone and send in the click Fix. Ben, what other stories are we working on this hour? All right, what do we got? We got uh, parking violations slash abandoned auto. Uh, reported Blake Street, New Haven. That's the Westville area. And uh, it looks like there is a quad that was set on fire in the street right before oh my, Osborne. Oh, my goodness. That's exciting. Wait, wait a second. Someone lit a quad on fire? That's what it sounds like. There's probably a lot of people in this city that would like to see quads set on fire from my understanding oh my of C-Click Fix comments. So wait a second. So on Blake near Osborne, which is in the Beaver Hills area, yeah. somebody there was a quad parked in the street. That's right. And somebody lit it on fire. That's right. It was reported about an hour ago, and it looks like three people have voted to fix it. So we have confirmation that this is real. Now, how do we fix a burnt quad? Uh, that's a good question. I would assume the police would go take a report, and I would assume it would be removed possibly by public works. So I don't, I'm not sure I totally understand the so, so, so somebody saw this quad get lit on fire, and they went on C-Click Fix, which is the platform you run, a website, and it's also you can get on your phone. Yep. And they said, here's what happened. And they put the news there. Since then, three other people said, I care about this. Now, in the next coming hours, as we follow the story, Ben Berkowitz, I assume we're going to see a response from someone in the city because this also gets sent to someone in the city, correct? That, city government. That would be my assumption as well. The, the average time to acknowledge an issue, which is kind of the first comment that you'll get from a city official, is usually under an hour in the city of New Haven. And then how long till they fix it? It depends, uh, in, you know, city by city, request type by request type. Uh, you know, a pot pothole can take a couple days uh, depending on the season. Uh, but you know, something that's more complex, like the redesign of a traffic uh, intersection could take years. Okay. Any other top stories we're working on this hour, Ben? What do we got? We got glass and debris in the street. Oh, no. Something a little, yeah. Stop uh, the North presses. Frontage Road near church. Uh -huh. uh, and it's a uh, uh, broken glass, plastic, and other hazardous debris in the left lane on North Frontage Road, heading from 95 into the city. The debris is just south of Church Street. Could be left over from a car accident. Uh, interesting. Both public works... And uh, Matt Griswold uh, from the Town Green have responded saying uh, that they will take a look and help out. So multiple fixers in the area. What time did that come in? 
So that came in, it was yesterday the 5th? That came in yesterday, and uh, they... What time? Uh, it doesn't, I don't have the time readily available, but the city responded the same day, and Mac Griswold responded about an hour ago. Now, that actually is a big deal, and we're going to get this later in the program. I made a little joke, ha, 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 stop the presses, there's glass in the street. But in fact, that road comes off 95, and because we've rebuilt our downtown and we're continuing to do it, mm to get no, no longer have a mini highway going through downtown, people are concerned about traffic. There are a lot of cars that come off 95, whose drivers come off 95 to come into the city, onto a local street there, North Frontage. And that could cause a lot of havoc if there's Absolutely. a lot of glass. And then what? How do, if it gets there from an accident, what is our process to clean the street? I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, I mean, for you and I as cyclists, that glass can pop your tire. Oh, that forget can, it. That can have the day that <laughs> yeah, could get yeah. you really hurt. I've gone three times in a week with tires yeah. getting popped. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I also think even the most mundane issues reported on Cyclic Fix uh, do represent, a, can represent a lot of things, right? They can represent that something is fundamentally broken, broken at a, a systemic level in government, uh, meaning that you know, there isn't someone there that is accountable to fix something like this, which there should be. Um, it could mean that um, uh, the, the, you know, on the other end, when a government official responds, the power of that accountability at this very anecdotal, this very transactional level is, is you know, I think representative to a lot of people, kind of the opposite of what was first suggested, which is that, in fact, in New Haven, government is working. Um, you have two... Uh, relatively, uh, you know, substantial organizations responding publicly to this resident who reported uh, this very mundane thing. You want to give me one more news item? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's see. Um, more, let's see. So misleading lanes at the Ooh. intersection of Whaley and West Park. The intersection of Whaley and West Park has misleading traffic lanes. There are three lanes of traffic that shift over in Edgewood Park. But the way the lane shift often confuses the middle lane and left lanes of traffic. The traffic in the middle lane often drifts into the left lane and almost causing cars to collide or stop suddenly. We're talking on the Whaley side going up the hill? Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. That is one dangerous intersection. Uh, absolutely. You Incredibly know, one, dangerous. It's, it's like, and the Greers who live in that area, the family is influential. They got the city to put in a roundabout to slow some of the West Park traffic. I have walked, that's a very dangerous street to walk on that corner. Yeah. That's by the Holocaust Memorial, that's right. West Park and Whaley. And when I walk on it, cars come so fast from Whaley turning onto it because it's a wide berth. Mm. So one day I was walking there, and I was in the middle of the intersection. It was a Friday afternoon, trying to get home for Shabbos. And this car comes roaring up Whaley without a signal and zooms right into the, on the right. West Park. Right. Came within inches of killing me. Right. And I just freaked, and I yelled, what are you doing? The guy got out of the car and wanted to beat me up because he was high on road rage. And he just looked at me and I just looked at him and he got back in the car and rode away. And I was thinking that's a systemic issue. Well, people drive Bailey and needs to be enforced, but in fact, right. the cops do go on that block a lot. They have a sign up that flashes. You'll often see cops with the radar guns on yeah. that corner. But I think there's also a design issue. I think there's a design issue. I think there's a bureaucracy issue in general on Whaley. I think the Independent has done a wonderful job of illuminating it over the last, you know, ten years. Um, clearly, Whaley Avenue is not meant for cars, pedestrians, cyclists, uh, any of us, and uh, there there continues to be problems. I mean, if the way I think of it is that um, if you see another human being or a group of human beings doing something that is consistently against what you believe should happen. It's not that the human beings, those particular human beings have done anything wrong. Um, it's that the system itself that they're being placed into, in this case, the roadway is, has been inherently designed wrong. And so probably the best example of this is folks that cross Whaley at any given uh, location. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really a design of the roadway and it needs to be resolved. Um, so you've fact, seen complaints about this on C-Click Fix over oh, yeah. the years. Yeah. And I've experienced it. I mean, we've all experienced it since we were, since I was a kid, this has been a problem. So have there been cases where someone's complained about something in C-Click Fix and the city has come on to C-Click Fix and said, here's how we answered it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in terms of traffic redesign, I think, you know, one of my favorite examples is the intersection of Audubon and Whitney, um, 
where you know hundreds of people have complained on multiple cyclic fix issues about um uh you know the the unsafe crossing there and, and now we have um a raised Raised crosswalk. Well, first, there was a guerrilla group that yes. came in the middle of the night. Yep. You and I know who one of those people is. We're we not sure do. Mention it. And they came in of, we're not going to say what genders, came yep. in at night and did a sort of guerrilla crosswork that stopped traffic and painted something. Yep. But eventually, as you said, I guess that did start on C-Click Fix, the movement to do that. Yeah. Make that a safer place for so many students and business people and just office workers who cross that street every hour. Yeah. Absolutely. That was that. What a difference you make, Ben Berkowitz. But you know what? You and I get so excited talking about this stuff. Yeah. That we haven't stepped back to tell people really what C Click Fix is and sure. how it came about. Sure. So let's go back and do that. I'm going to read aloud one description of how you started. C Click Fix. It's a website, folks, and it's more. Originally working out of downtown coffee shops, Ben Berkowitz started C Click Fix in 2008 as a hyper local problem solving tool on the internet. Neighbors reported on potholes or break-ins or snow-clearing problems on their block. Other neighbors joined in. C-ClickFlips would put a map in so you could see where it is. They tracked how officials responded or didn't respond right on the site. The company grew at a time when a renewed grassroots push for transparency in America coincided with the growth of citizen-driven web media. Soon, New Haven city government ditched its own sputtering attempts at creating a web citizen response network and embrace C-Click Fix, using the site to field neighborhood complaints and then report on progress in fixing them. This revolutionized local government. The site also became a forum for daily in-depth debate about how to tackle city problems. Hundreds of cities worldwide followed in signing up to become C-Click Fix localized sites. Meanwhile, neighbors looked at C-Click Fix as a venue for uniting to help each other in emergencies, for instance, there are these snow yetis, are they called in New yetis. Haven? Yeah. Where you guys go if someone's shut in and you can't get uh, shoveled out through secret fix, neighbors come in and fix that. Today, the company can plausibly build itself as one of the largest neighborhood networks in the world and serves as a problem, a platform for public agencies and citizens to communicate and improve communities. Done reading. Is that your history? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I remember seeing you in coffee shop. Right. Ab the I old bar. What was the precursor to Be Natural or Woodlands? Uh, right. So there was Woodlands, and then there was, uh, before that, there was uh, coffee. On Mocha. No, yeah, no. Mocha. 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 And I, I should uh, tip the hat to the New Haven Independent. The first conversation I ever had uh, about C-Click Fix or the idea of C-Click Fix was at Coffee on Audubon with Melissa Bailey. Former independent editor. Uh, and I think at the time, the reason I asked Melissa about this thought I was having was because um, of the crime, uh, what did you call it, the, the crime map, the New Haven crime map that was on the Independent. So let's bring us back to 2008. What were you doing with your life in 2008, Ben Berkowitz? So I was working on, I was a freelancer working on websites, building websites. You were a freelance website builder. You grew up in New Haven. Yep. You went to, I believe, Hopkins. Yep. Where'd you go to college? I went to George Washington in and D.C. They, and you came back to New Haven? Yeah. Why? Absolutely. Uh, I came back to New Haven, I think initially, I don't know, it, it called me back. Uh, I'd gone out to L.A. for a little bit after college. and What were you hoping to do in L.A.? Worked for the record industry, which was being destroyed at the time or, or uh, radically improved as we now, later this is learned. Because you and I believe there's a link here to what happened in the music industry. What were you hoping to do in the record industry? So I was... Um, I think they called like an A and R. Um, what is that again? That's the person who puts the cocaine on the records. So yeah, the I think DJs they put the coke yeah, on yeah. the records. Yeah. yeah, I was never very good at that. Well, that's your time. It passed. There weren't records anymore. Yeah, yeah. What exactly. a bummer, man. Things just aren't the way they used to be. They really aren't. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, fortunately, those uh, five record labels that controlled the entire industry are not uh, how we typically consume. You know, they're still very relevant, but not typically how we consume music anymore. Um, and I was an A&R for college, for big name bands like uh, like Erica Badu, or Godsmack, um, others. Uh, so you were breaking in. You were going to LA and you were making it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had an offer from Universal uh, to do this full time in Minnesota. Which How did I you declined. break in? Uh, you know, I can't. I think I was working at a local radio station, um, either at DC 101. Doing um, what? At uh, internship. 
you know, oh, giving out prizes and oh, going to okay. skateboard events. Oh, in, and, in Hamden? No, this was so I did KC 101 as well, uh, but I did DC 101 uh, in DC. Oh, wow. Like their rock. I think it's DC 101. I might have the call numbers wrong. But uh, so you went to LA, you started breaking the music industry. Yep. But somehow you ended up back here. Yeah. Well, so I was finishing up school. I finished up classes at UCLA. And when that time was up, I looked at myself and the record industry and didn't feel like there was a fit. Uh, didn't feel also creative. Why not, Ben? Well, I, you know, I think the record industry at the time was very homogenized. It's just uh, you call it the record industry. Yeah, yeah, the music industry. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, because we grew up with records. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I should say that I also for uh, five years in New Haven, New Haven DJed after this, and I, I spun vinyl records, so I really do think of it as the record. Oh, industry. okay. So let's let's get this chronological. So you yep. left LA back for New Haven. Yep. What year? So that was two thousand and two. You came back to New Haven. How old were you? I was 22. Okay, so you were born um, in 90. It was 2001. You were born in 80. Yeah. yeah, 2001. Uh, 9-11 happened the month after I uh, got back from Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. So the world was changing. The world changed. Yeah, for sure. And, and then you started DJing? So I started DJing a couple of years after that. I, I worked, um, when I first got back, I worked at Urban Outfitters for two days. Uh, <laughs> two days? Is that the record? I, I dropped out. That might be the record. Every great techie entrepreneur like you has to have a dropout story. Yeah. So you didn't drop out of college. I did not drop out of college. you dropped out of Urban Outfitters, which is much cooler. I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Why did you, because of the air conditioning? Um, I, I ran into my old boss uh, a few years ago, and she <laughs> told me it was because I didn't, quote unquote, like cleaning dust bunnies, uh, which is not something I remember. Uh, I didn't particularly... I uh, think the job was a good fit for me, but maybe it was the dust bunnies that drove me over the but top. It's just make a joke about dropout stories, but part of succeeding <laughs> is finding out what doesn't fit. Yeah, absolutely. And moving away from I it really you. quickly. So you then, what, do you, what you became a DJ. So, uh, yeah, well, my dad was a general contractor, uh, and I went and swung a sledgehammer and a hammer. and uh, So you did better with that than dust bunnies. I did, and I worked my way into construction management, um, which was, and we pushed his business forward a little through my um, uh, excitement around managing construction projects. What kind of projects? So, unfortunately, it was things that I was not super excited about. So it was suburban strip mall projects in Waterford, Connecticut. In wow! Yeah. This does not sound like the guy who was idealistic no. about the music industry. No, I built Starbucks and CVSs. Wow! It was not thrilling. They must have gotten some good coffee, free coffee. Uh, yeah, we got the Starbucks coffee is good. Yeah, it's pretty I good. Mean, we're supposed to it's not. Pretty like good. It's a little bit burnt. I don't know if I love it. They have a little bit of a gaffa vibe, which I don't like. But you know, they, they, I'm drinking G Cafe right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, <clears throat> we love the local people. Yeah. Uh, and this morning I drank Happiness Lab. To be fair, yeah. I've I've already yeah. been to. Three I know you spread the love around, and yeah. it's all local. We do too. Definitely. Okay, so you said not another thing that wasn't for you, although you were good at it, was building Starbucks in the suburbs. Right. Exactly. And so I started. Uh, Kind of around the same time that I started in construction, I also started acting on my graphic design passion. And so I started doing um, graphics for a local company uh, at the time. I think it came out of Yale SOM called uh, SEO Matrix. They were a search engine optimization company. Um, and I had done some like graphics for them. And that was fun. I remember whenever I go into Shake Shack now, I see those uh, JTEC um, buzzers that tell you when your food is ready. And I designed the advertisement wow. that mimicked the you know design pattern of those little blinky lights oh okay so that was one of my early uh, accomplishments um but you know through the web so graphic design and then i taught myself web design uh, because obviously at the time everything was moving to the web felt a lot more excitement i was doing a lot of things with flash animation uh and kind of um uh, dynamic uh animated design uh, and I, I got the opportunity to work on websites for a number of local nonprofits that I was really passionate about. So all our kin, uh, phenomenal, you know, uh, early childhood. You're probably education. friends with John Wagner from growing up here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're doing web design. Yep. Where was the DJing? So the DJing was at night and the Where? DJing was at Diesel Lounge. Wow. Neat Lounge. Wow. Gypsy and two clubs in Milford whose names I can't remember. So it was oh. Electronica? What kind of DJ? Yeah. yeah what was your DJ handle? Ben at 10. Oh, I like it. Oh, boy. Ben, that says a lot. It says these are for yeah. people whose night starts at 10 o'clock. That's right. Unlike That's people right. like me whose night ends at 10 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Like mine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so 2008 comes along, and I'm just trying to do the math. 28 yeah. years old. Yep. And yep. here's Ben has done a lot by the time he's been 28. Yep. 
and he's kind of finding his groove. Web design is working. Yep. And here you are. I remember seeing you hanging out at these coffee shops. You could tell Ben was onto something pretty revolutionary, but I didn't understand what it was. And um, it seemed like every time the independent in those days did not have an office. Right. We, in those days, we used to meet at coffee shops. Yep. And I had a theory that we were tracked by Ben Berkowitz <laughs> because no matter which coffee shop we at, because it wasn't the same coffee shop. Right. You would always be sitting there working on something intense on your computer one table away and hearing our entire conversation right. about what stories we were working on. I was getting the news early. But what I could tell was he was doing something more interesting than what we were doing. Like, The Independent was exciting, and I love it, and I'm proud of it, and it was like 2005 we started. We were the second um, professional nonprofit city news site in the country. We became the prototype. I'm very proud of it. But I really felt what you were doing was something much more innovative about how web was transforming journalism. We basically took old school journalism and news reporting with the same standards and approach, put it on a new platform and got the public more involved and made it multimedia, which is cool and I love it. But you had a whole new concept of what news was. Mm. You were going to do something where citizens were really going to take the everyday raw material of democracy, the stuff that happens that matters to them, that affects how they live, and throw it onto this new platform where their citizens could all get together and do something about it and officials who could act on it would do something about it. Was that the original idea? Is that what you were up to when we were when you were sipping your mocha and everything? So the the last part, yes, in the sense that we wanted to build a tool that was going to solve problems. But it wasn't we, right? At first it was I. It was I, but it was very brief. I think I had the idea in November. What was this idea and how did you come up with it? So there was graffiti on my neighbor's building. I went to Call City Hall. Where was this? Uh, 908 State Street. You were living in Upper State, Humphrey at the time, State, which was undergoing a pretty cool uh, rejuvenation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was the beginning of the rejuvenation of the Upper State Street neighborhood, which I was the second rejuvenation. There was a minor one in the 1980s. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. And actually, uh, the person that I kind of sparked the rejuvenation with was Bob Frew, who, who was an investor, real estate investor in the first phase, and a f former alderman and a professor at um, a school of architecture, and who was involved in the first phase. But so you saw graffiti on the building. Yes, yeah, so I saw graffiti on the building, and and that felt like a problem that could not be solved at the time, just through the workings of this neighborhood association that we had built. And Upper State Street Neighborhood Improvement Association. Yeah, it was that? the Upper State Street uh, Merchants Association. And this was two thousand eight. Yep. And where was the building? Uh, late 2007. The building was, it's uh, Studio Z Tattoo, uh, right in between Humphrey and Bishop on State Street. Uh -huh. And so I went to call City Hall, and in calling City Hall, I realized that internally at City Hall, there seemed to be some confusion about how graffiti on private property would be resolved. It's actually a common confusion in a lot of cities. Um, and I realized, you know, probably more importantly, that uh, my neighbors had probably called in and had the exact same experience. And I had this kind of this moment of realizing they've called in, I've called in, but we're not talking to each other. And this shouting into the black box thing is not helping any of us. So why don't we try to create a way to publicly document uh, these requests that are going into City Hall um, and to tie back to the website career at the and you know, some of the local organizations that I really loved that I was working with. I'd been working with the New Haven Land Trust uh, and I'd just gone out probably like that summer um, and documented for the land trust, mapped for the land trust, all of the gardens uh, and um, uh, preserve sites uh, in New Haven. It's an amazing resource. Amaz One of the most yeah. beautiful parts of being in New Haven, those incredible community gardens in all the neighborhoods. Yeah, if you want to truly fall in love with New Haven, you need to go out and you need map. to make the checklist and you need to visit every single one of those properties. It's really incredible. Um, and the the different, like, it, you know, one of the beautiful things is that in the gardens, you find beautiful humans and in the preserves, you find beautiful animals. And so you really get this holistic view of what our city is. Uh, that's beautiful. So what was the, what did the graffiti say? So I do not remember. It was not Banksy or Shepherd Fairy or anything <laughs> inspirational, or even believe in people. Yeah, or even believe in people. Uh, it was. It was just someone. You know, someone's tag, um, and which I've grown to understand the culture of. Right, but. because you got in a fight years later when you put these beautiful murals up with people's pictures and some really ugly graffiti got put on it. Yep. And the graffiti artist said that, oh, well, this is our right, too. It's not just your building. And you had a great debate through the yep. Independent. That was, yep. that was wonderful. Absolutely. But back, okay, back to this. So you said, we're all complaining. We're complaining in a void. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going to change. It's late 2007. Are we into early 2008 yeah. now? Yeah, absolutely. So what did you do? So in late 2007, my I had talked to Miles Lassiter, um, 
who was uh, founder of Hire One, was running Hire One, uh, and he had gotten excited about it. Uh, we then brought in his brother Cam, uh, and then we brought in Jeff Blasius. Uh, Jeff, uh, I knew from DJing at Gypsy. Uh-huh. Uh, he was at Yale at ITS. Oh, what's uh, his last name? Uh, Blasius, B-L-A-S-I-U-S. Uh-huh. And um, uh, kind of, you know, slowly started working. We were working nights and weekends, and specifically, we're working every Tuesday night on Cyclic Fix. I think there's a blog post from maybe the first weekend we ever worked that's out there on the internet. Um, and we weren't really sure what we were, like, the, if we were building a company or a nonprofit. But you said, we're going to do something about this. I'm going to do it through a company. Now, why a company? Yeah. One thing Fix has done is offered a, a private sector mm. role in public sector work. Yeah. You started out going to the government. It was the government's job. You yeah. found out the government was confused about what to do and the problem wasn't going to get fixed by them alone. Yeah. But you also felt they had to play a role in it. Right. So you said, I'm going to start a company to do this. Right. Why did you think that? So I think it, in the beginning, the reason we chose company, while well, we thought about nonprofits seriously, um, is that none of us had experience um, fundraising for grants. And, you know, when you're. So it was all a question where am I going to get the money to do this? It wasn't about making money. It was about how do we. Right. It was about how do we sustain this? And so nights and weekends doing our other jobs was an option for a while until cities like Houston and New Haven wanted to start working with us directly. So you said, I'm going to do this idealistic project, but the way I'm going to get the bucks is venture capital, not foundations. And, it, and initially, it didn't, we didn't even know if it had to be venture capital, but uh, that certainly or helped prime. scale. It's because when I started the independent, it started out. I'm not going to be able to get the money in the private sector right. because these corporate chains are doing a race to the bottom, selling cheap junk for advertising. Totally. So I thought the money was going to be in the public sector, but that then affected how I thought about the project and the business model because there actually is a difference when you have a public interest, not-for-profit model. It affects Absolutely. the kind of journalism you do and how you affect, how you relate to the people funding and how you relate to your readers. Similarly, you were on a track because the money you were looking for that made this a private solution. Right. And, and I, how did you get the money? Well, first you didn't get money, you just worked nights and weekends. Well, yeah, and, and so as a social enterprise, we really wanted to make sure that um, while we did have, we had some substantial ad revenue early when we partnered with media. Um, Wait, when did you start the site? So we started, it launched in alpha in 2008, like January 2008. Probably. And it was an alpha site that you designed? Yep. You built the site? I designed it, Cam and uh, Jeff built, did most of the coding and what you did was you said any citizen going here was it just for new haven uh no you could use it anywhere in the world and yep. if you put a complaint on here yep we're going to show you the map of where it is yep. and everybody can watch as other people get on what was the first complaint so i think the first complaint was a storm drain um that was clogged uh in front of 908 state street back on state street yeah it took a long time for that to be fixed by the way that was not a quick one who posted that so i posted that. you posted it, okay yeah. And then how did people find out about C-Click Fix? It was word of mouth initially, but I would, on those nights and weekends, I would actually, I had a Google alert for the word pothole, and it seemed like people who blogged oh. about potholes um, were, you know, the people that were actively thinking about the most granular details of their communities and, and speaking about things that could be resolved. Um, and so it was really easy to reach out to them and say, hey, uh, we have this website, you're interested you should try it out i remember this uh and would not it just be new haven people no i remember a guy really early on was up in buffalo and he was documenting some of the like blighted buildings up in buffalo trying to um so the marketing savvy was a google alert and then you find the person yeah. does the google ever pick up people's blogs yeah it would pick up people so you were finding people already new to use the internet right. to try to get the word out Definitely. what a brilliant idea ben yeah, that's what cool. i was watching you do when you were eavesdropping on our that's staff probably meetings. It. Yeah. wow yeah I'm telling you, man, the most interesting thing that's happened on your, on your laptop it wasn't at the meeting. So from that, we got very excited about it early at the Independent, yeah. and you started putting a feed, which is there on our, today on our right. site, where people f- use C-ClickFix, and you go to the New Haven Independent, you'll see C-ClickFix on the right-hand column, you can get into it there. There were all these million ways like that. Your yeah. Google Alerts, your networks, yeah. social media, the independent people find out about well, it. Listening to, I mean, I think you're getting to the point, which is like <laughs> listening to, going to where the people already are, and meeting them where there are where they are is is the best way to proliferate an idea, right? Meanwhile, New Haven had thought they were going to copy Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of New York, 
and have a was it a two one one? Three one three one one. You call yep. in for info, and it never worked. And government couldn't do it. They want they wanted to. The oldest administration said, you know, send in a public complaint, and we'll watch yeah. how it's done, and we'll be make accountable our employees to see yeah. if public works went out and filled the pothole or picked up the trash. It never happened. So finally, they had a web savvy guy named Rob Smuts, who was the chief administrative officer. Right. He said, "I like what Ben's doing. Yep. This works better." Let's all forget about our system and all our employees now have to be on C-Click Fix and we're going to watch what you're doing and the public's going to watch what you're doing to make sure you answer. Yeah, absolutely. Which was amazing. And how did that work out financially? Did the city give you a contract for that? So the city did. Yeah, the city entered into an annual recurring software license, which is our model for business uh, with cities. We find that that is the best way to execute on the social uh, impact of C-Click Fix without being corrupted by outside you know, business, uh, um, interests. Uh, and it's also added the literal buy-in of city officials. What's so funny about it is problem. if you had outside business interest, they would put pressure on you not to make them look bad. Mm -hmm. But when the city enters in a contract with you, you're supposed to make them look bad. That's the job, right? right? Is it, well, they're, they have to decide if they're going to use you, that they're willing to be transparent. But the only way it can work is if the whole public can see whether they picked up the trash or not. That's right. And and what you end up finding out, and I was so jaded, like I think most of us are, when they think about city government because it was so opaque prior to the cyclic fix days, yeah. um, is that uh, government is doing everything wrong. And what, what I think most people, when you interview our users, realize is that actually government is doing a lot of stuff that is right. And they the internet has enabled at least at the local level when it's used constructively has enabled more people to see the good things that government are right doing. the promise of the internet has always been everyday citizens can make people in power transparent they could find each other they could share information to make their world better right and the downside always is is that you embarrass people humiliate people you there's no more privacy and right. there's no opportunity to think so C-Click Fix is on the side of the angels. Absolutely. So yeah. you started having other cities follow suit. Other cities yeah. contracted with you. And why couldn't they just go on C-Click Fix without doing a contract with you? Why can't they just say, well, it's going to follow C-Click Fix? So they, they can. You? you can. Uh, we, we made C-Click Fix usable without us ever taking a dollar, meaning that you can report an issue freely um, and you can receive alerts on an issue freely and you can comment back. And you can close an issue out. So it is a full end-to-end -end bug tracking system without ever paying a dollar. Cities have all sorts of um, unique needs internally uh, for communication that were not being met by existing software platforms. And that's where we decided that we would. So what's the value added when they pay you? So they, The proprietary software they get from you enables them to do what? Use your site better? They can make internal comments to each other. They can assign issues to each other. They can print out work orders. They can structure the data coming in. So you'll see in New Haven, when you open um, uh, an issue, there is a list of what we call service request types that are made available to you. And depending on which service request type you pick, so in other words, like an questions. individual uses secret fix just to go on. But if you're a bureaucracy that wants to deal with it well, yeah. you have to be able to do it in a sophisticated way that allows our printing, sharing, private, public communication. There you go. So then you got venture capital. You've got millions of dollars, right? Today, yep. how much? So today, three and a half million dollars after this. And summer. how many people work for you? Thirty-seven, I think, as of Monday wow. morning, something like that. We in have two new, new folks started Monday. Yeah, You're one is in California story. and one is in Colorado. Everyone else is in New Haven. You're a New Haven success story, and you're growing in New Haven. You're staying in New Haven. How many cities are you in? So we are in. We have C-Click Fix has been used in tens of thousands of communities around the world. We have nearly three hundred uh, partners, official partners, where C-Click Fix is the digital front door. Uh, and internal communication system for those cities, cities yeah. around the world. Yeah, absolutely. How so, many like how many abroad? So that's about three hundred. Um, oh, abroad. I think there's there's maybe fifteen internationally. Most of those are in Canada. One is in Malaysia. So you're doing well by doing good. Yeah, doing and, well by doing good. Uh, and you're doing it in other places besides just New Haven. There's news that you're creating and tracking. Yeah, and making in other cities. We're going to get to that in a minute. You are listening to Dateline New Haven on WNHH. New Haven's home for community radio broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're speaking today with Ben Berkowitz, the man behind C-Click Fix. And now we're going to do another news uh, segment here. 
Ben Berkowitz, what's the latest news in Oakland, California, according to the C-Click Fix Wire? All right, it is Wednesday, 8.42 a.m. <laughs> on the West Coast in Oakland, California. I don't uh, think my daughter's up yet. She has a night job there. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> and uh, 11 minutes ago, a dumped mattress with a photo uh, was reported at 1622 29th Avenue in Oakland, California. And uh, the City of Oakland Public Works has already acknowledged of it. Uh, City of Oakland Public Works Department has received this issue. It is registered as a service request. Please check back for status updates. Fun fact about the Oakland Public Works. I hear that the director was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Who is it? I forget her name. I should know that. Wow. Yeah, and you just caught me on radio. And there so you go. Okay, up. what other news stories are we tracking this Electrical hour panel open on Lake Merritt Boulevard. Someone has ripped open an access <laughs> That's door. That's a nice place there by Lake Merritt. Oh, it's beautiful. I oh, love it. Oh, man. Oakland. I can't believe I was in a city there. Oakland is a wonderful city. It really is. Yeah. It's the new Brooklyn. It's the, yeah, exactly. So unfortunately, we or hope the that new San Francisco. But we hope not everyone gets priced out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm sorry. Back to the news story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Someone has ripped open an access door on a city electric panel. Exposing oh, the wiring located at the southwest corner of the bridge. Oh, so people can get zapped. Yeah, that's legit. And what about the bridge, Ben Berkowitz? Are there any danger of, of traffic being stopped there? If there's any kind of, are people walking across and getting electrocuted? This is, it does not say anything about that yet, but the city of Oakland uh, actually addressed this issue on January 6th. So this uh, was reported on 12-29-2015, uh, and 21 minutes ago they fixed the issue. So How did they fix it? We're all safe. It does not illuminate. Uh, the details. I but it is safe if you're going over the bridge in Oakland today. You're not going to get zapped. You can enjoy looking at the water. That's right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. We Good don't news know for how Oakland. traffic is. Yeah. Any other stories um, that we've been working on? We've got a street light out. We have illegal dumping. Um, looks like uh, looks like it's a bunch of pallets. Uh, Wait, and... where are these pallets? What's that? Where are these pallets in Oakland? Oh, we got uh, 1601 Poplar Street, but they're not there anymore because one hour ago, City of Oakland Public Works picked them up. City of Oakland is following C-Click Fix. Now, where were these pallets? So these pallets... Because you map it, right? Yeah, we map it. I have a and, reason uh, I'm asking this question. Uh, no, this is good. So, And it actually looks like pallets with graffiti. Actually, it looks like the side of a house um, that has been cut into... Uh, pallets and wait, wait 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 a house got cut into pallets that's what, that's what it looks like right i don't know what that is it looks like the side that is what you don't think they're just stored there yeah i think that so you think someone's working on a house yeah or someone who's no you know what it could be it says illegal dumping they could have been working somewhere else and, and dumping it there i love that there's graffiti on the curb that says feed me also this, this whole photo is <laughs> well, interesting well here's the issue when a place becomes the new san francisco or brooklyn all of a sudden you're finding about all the people need to be fed, and you have all these artists who make that into an art statement. Yeah, absolutely. But about absolutely. the palace now, how, Oakland was historically a shipping yeah, industry, absolutely. and they still have still a lot is, of shipping. So you think this palace come from housing construction, or you think they come from shipping? To me, that looks like housing construction. It looks like it's the... Actually, you know what that is? That's the roof of a house. Those That's are right, shingles. Yeah, you were in construction. Yeah. So why would roof panels be dumped somewhere? Because someone's putting in a new roof? Someone, right, I think that someone demoed a building or demoed the roof of a building. And is and that then, because the housing prices are going up so fast in Oakland that do you think that that means that people like this are taking shortcuts to try to cash in on this housing boom by tearing down old stuff, illegally, get, illegally dumping what you tore down so you don't have to pay to dump it, and then building new stuff where they could uh, get more money upscaling the rents. You know, it's interesting. I mean, th this actually is an example where uh, Oakland is an interesting example where they have a really um, well-run uh, dumping pickup. Um, however, that means that you could say pick like bulk trash pickup your range in advance. Yeah, and because it, right, that's that's exactly right. Um, and because they pick it up, some cities don't. You have to deliver it yourself. What I understand is that people actually come into Oakland from outside of Oakland and leave their trash there. At existing piles? Yeah. But this was not an existing pile. Right. Well, they'll just leave it on the street. Wow. Yeah, it's a bummer. Okay. Now, you know a little bit what I was up to in asking these questions, right? I believe a C-Click fix is part of the new journalism. Mm. Ben and I were talking about this before we went on the air. There's a story that, that journalism is dead and that people aren't going to be held accountable because of the internet. Mm. I've always believed that's a fake story for two reasons. I think what killed conventional papers was corporate greed and chains that just disinvested on them and tried to rape their communities for income while not giving back in the number of reporting. And also because reporters became self-important because they had monopolies and didn't have a need to connect with people. But also, at the same time, those conventional news outlets have shrunk 
everything we read about the death of the industry comes from people in those funeral homes, so, formerly known as news organizations. Yeah. So if you're always spending your life in a funeral home, you can believe everyone's dying. Right. While outside your funeral home, people are being born every day. And what has happened the last 10 years is there have been so many great experiments in journalism. Some of it's conventional journalism, sites like The Independent, and there are many like ours around the country now, like Voice of San Diego, and uh, Minneapolis has one, mm. and um, New York and Seattle and New Orleans. But more importantly, people have redefined what journalism is, and I believe that Ben Berkowitz and C-Click Fix are on the front line of that. Because what is journalism? I would argue that news is anything that happens that matters. Mm. Someone dumped these pallets in Oakland. Now, it matters, A, because you don't want trash in the street. B, it might not be safe. C, the city might be out of money. Um, yep. That it could have been done properly. D, you want a clean environment so that other crime doesn't follow. But even more broadly, that then goes into other issues that you brought up. How does the city deal with collecting pallets? You talked about some places that make you come and bring it in, others that pick it up. Yeah. Beyond that, what does that say about the underlying reasons that pallet might be there? Is it because of a shift in commerce and what happens with the shipping industry, or in this case, is it because of a building boom and how a city has to deal with rising rents or the graffiti right there that says feed me, or the way it's gonna regulate people who are profiting off the higher housing costs. That all comes from the fact that someone dumped some pallets on the street in Oakland, and then the next step is how is government gonna deal with it? What better way to distribute that information, involve people in the process, and then follow up for answers than what Ben Berkowitz and C-Click Fix have created and what was done right there. Mm. I would argue that as much of anything as the new journalism. The new journalism is not any one thing. You worked for what used to be five record companies that decided what all the music right. was. Now there's tons of ways you can hear music. Bands that have a good vibe going can get fans from different places and tour because of the tools they have on the internet. Do you see what you're doing the way I do that it's journalism? A hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. Um, what, one, I'll say that um, when we, early on in the cyclic fix days, we got dipped into the national community of hyper-local journalism, um, progressive journalists who were trying to reshape the industry. And I, um, uh, I tell people this all the time. The New Haven Independent is revered as one of the top three local journalism uh, sites in the country to almost everyone who's in the field uh -huh. who I've talked to. So, yeah. um, and I think the reason is because while so much of the industry is hyper-focused on big data and um, aggregating the, you know, the entire data set that comes out of new tools like C-ClickFix and crime reports and everything else, I feel like the reason the New Haven Independent works so well and local journalism is this type brand of local journalism is so interesting to me is that it's actually small data that you're focusing on, right? It's like well, the my smallest argument about data. big policy and big data is it starts with small policy and small data. So the big question of how are you going to have affordable housing in a city or how are you going to have a clean environment in a city or how are you going to have safe streets or what kind of neighbors you want actually begins with those pallets you found and what happened to them. Similarly, the reason I think a lot of people didn't read the old media as it was dying is they thought the whole way you write about policy is on your phone with a few lawmakers who you should be talking to and are definitely part of the mix. But that's where it begins and ends talking about important studies and the language of laws. But you don't even get to the point of writing a law about who's going to serve, for instance, we were talking about this the other day, protective orders from a court mm -hmm. or what are, how are you going to regulate a hospital or what you're going to do about housing development until it begins with something that happened in somebody's life and that it's up to the media outlet to track that and put that in the larger picture piece by piece. And now, thank you for the comments to get the independent, but what I was really focused on here is what you did, which is different from what we did. We had the same mindset, which is that grassroots news is where it begins, that you could think globally and act locally mm -hmm. by saying what's happening in my block, why is it matter, and then call, power, call um, people in power to account. However, what we never succeeded in doing the independent was harnessing that people power to really on a day-to-day -day basis, dozens of times, Talk about what's happening block by block. Mm. We can't send out a report everywhere. And part of the false promise, because what's so great about this period of experimentation in media is that we have to try a million things to get 10 good ones, mm. right? Mm. So there was all this experimentation going on when we started. We tried parts of it too in citizen journalism. And what did that mean? Mm. Now, some right-wingers thought we're going to fact check your ass. That was that right. big saying, right? But it turned out they weren't. They were making up their own facts. Mm -hmm. And there was no one vetting that. 
we thought the independent, for instance, we'd have everyone write reviews of arts because they would write better reviews than we did. Mm. I got a grant for it. We set up a platform. We got exactly only one person ever wrote a review. It was about mm. Echo and the Bunnymen at Toads. Mm. It was a fantastic freaking review. I don't know who it is who wrote it, knew more about Echo and the Bunnymen, was a great writer, but nobody else wanted to do that. They wanted us to get the news or write the review, and then they wanted to write their own comments sparked by that. Right. But where you did the end run and where we did not succeed, I believe, is finding a way to get citizens every day contributing the information in a focused way so that other people could follow it. Mm. There's real information. It can be vetted and fact-checked by other by the crowd, but you also can get it in a distilled way so it's not just a mass of data. Right. You can go on the New Haven Independent to the little brief on, on C-Click Fix or even better, get the feed directly now from C-Click Fix or go to the New Haven homepage or the Oakland homepage or the Vancouver homepage and follow issues without having to hunt. Just the way you pick up a newspaper with 10 yep. stories on a page, you pick up C-Click Fix with 10 items on the page, and you really have a flavor of 10 actions being taken place around town yeah. and what's going to happen to yeah. them. And I think it was brilliant, Ben. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think the insight for journalism there, and I, I don't have an answer as to how it scales from a business perspective, is that you actually did, you have the answer to your problem. You said it. I mean... The day that people stop fixing issues on C-Click Fix is the day that C-Click Fix dies on the vine, right? So it's that feedback loop. People, including myself, continue to show up to the platform because at the very least, other people will respond and support what they're saying or start a conversation and disagreement. And you but know what's it's amazing about it is at first it was it. always the yuppies, right? It was the early adopters right. with the tech who had smartphones. Mm -hmm. Now it's people from every walk of life in New Haven, every racial group, economic group. They're on their phone and on their computer saying, I'm going to see click fix this. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they the, feel they uh, have some power and they do. Yeah, the, there was just a uh, report released in Detroit, uh, one of our newest partners, which has been incredibly successful, uh, that shows the distribution of issues in the first seven months of partnering with the what city. You so you're in Detroit. Yeah, it's almost totally even and ubiquitous across right neighborhood. Now, and well. All sorts of Ben Berkowitzes running around there trying to invent stuff <laughs> and make the place better. Right. Absolutely. So what did you find out? What was the result of that? Yeah, uh, you own nearly ubiquitous coverage of the city uh, through the Detroit uh, three-on-one app, um, which is improved Detroit. See, click fix, same thing, uh, and. Uh, uh, so you kind of ubiquitous reporting and of equal amounts uh, across the city. And so, uh, you know, we, we all know that the smartphone has bridged the digital divide uh, for the most part domestically. And, uh, you know, I, I remember and the early adopters of the phone was disproportionately the black community and the Latino community. Oh, they, absolutely. They skipped over the test top. I, was at, I remember uh, that Code from for the America early years event. of the independent, that black readers were the ones who were asking me, how do I get this on the phone and why can't I see it? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's uh, has become a great equalizer in ways that I remember. You know, first sitting on panels and tech conference panels, and people asking, "Well, what what are we going to do about the low income community?" And because you're building things for the phone, and 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 in the end, the the beautiful thing is that it caught up. The adoption caught up so quickly because the prices came the down. The point I want to make about journalism is one thing that's changed is you used to, have to watch Cronkite or Huntley Brinkley on TV or read your one local newspaper, or one national newspaper. It's now so spread out that not any one media outlet needs to do all the work of journalism. People are sophisticated on their phone or on their computer to go to an aggregator or five websites who have right. different aspects of the problem. They all interact, and we interact. See, click, fix, and the independent. We get stories from you. You follow stuff. People find out through us. Mm. And I think that's sort of a future model for journalism. How do you get your national news? I'm curious about that. I love the New York Times. Okay. I love paper. Okay. Um, I do a couple times a day follow the New York Times alerts. I don't get Google alerts. I yep. know you're supposed to. Yep. Um, I don't feel a need unless something happens like the shooting in, Red, in Redlands in San Bernardino, uh, California. Yep. Then I was on it every 10 minutes. Right. I find I want it to just be good information. Yeah. So I find a couple times a day I go to the New York Times site. I um, People sometimes will email me stuff. Um, but otherwise, it's just New York Times and NPR. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, New York Times pings, sends those little push notifications uh -huh. to my phone when something happens. Sometimes they're relevant, sometimes they're not. Uh, I read The Independent more than any other news source. Wow. Um, I'm more interested. And then in I also news. just, anything about Bernie Sanders will float into my phone okay. or computer every okay. time it happens because awesome. I'm obsessed with hearing the voice of my late father from Bulkin and my old uncle right. running for president. Right, right. <laughs> so I want to close it out, Ben, by getting some news from where are we going to get Vancouver? Uh, we can go to Richmond, British Columbia. It's right, yeah, it's a... Uh, 
I guess you would define it as a suburb of Vancouver, but arguably it's its own city. And, and most importantly, it's where uh, my wife's family lives and where she grew up. Okay, so what's the latest news in Richmond, Canada? Yeah. According to the C-Click Fix Wire. Well, it looks like uh, Pothole has been reported at uh, 4780 Trimmerin Drive, Richmond, British Columbia in is, Canada. Is this a big one? Like the kind of going to wreck your car? I, I don't know. It's It says it's been there a long time. Um... It's not really an issue and hasn't been an issue, but yesterday they saw a biker take a tumble on it. Whoa, I hope the guy's okay. I hope so, too. So that's what we got so far. City has uh, not responded yet to Hey, they got a guy on the stake there in Richmond, Canada. That's right. Well, they're going to because C-Click Fix isn't going to let them off the hook. They're even paying you that's right. to make sure that they do something about us so we don't have more bikers in Richmond that's hurting right. their butts. And I will say, uh, Richmond, British Columbia, like I wrote, wrote a quick Medium post about this last week on the airplane home uh, from a visit there, Richmond, British Columbia, like Vancouver, has some of the best bike infrastructure. So we can learn stuff from there. Yeah, oh, we can learn a lot. Any other top stories as we roll out here? We got a legal dumping at 11433 Railwood Rail, Railway Avenue. Looks like that uh, mattress from Oakland might have migrated up, <laughs> up north. And uh, now it's the city of Richmond. So they got the pallet still in Oakland yeah. and the mattress made it up to Canada. That's right. That's right. And what's going on with that then? Uh, let's see. That also is just reported uh, also by DL. DL's reporting potholes. and So uh, DL is dumping. our local correspondent there. That's morning. right. And what right. does DL tell us? Uh, he didn't give us much. He gave us a photo. Oh, um, can I see it? The, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a mattress. I can't tell if that's a mattress. No, oh, maybe it's not. It's it a, looks oh, like it's a, a bed frame. Yeah. Oh, a dresser. So it's a dresser. It looks like some kind of gully or something. Yeah, some kind so of Richmond, a fun fact about Rich, Richmond, British Columbia, is they are below sea level, as I understand it, in many places. Oh. And uh, so they have these, these drainage systems all throughout the city. It also smells like blueberries there. Uh, hotly contested uh, conversation between my wife and I. Why? Because she's from dogs everywhere. That's nice, right? Yeah, uh, it's unusual. Well, what's wrong with blueberries everywhere? They rot. Oh. To me, it smells like rotting. But that's the big thing now. You're going to see as you click fix and other kinds of uh, cutting edge fence. People love all this rotten stuff. Like right. one of my daughters is totally into uh, food that's rotting. And right. They eat that. Right, right. Absolutely. It's supposed to be good for your microbes. Well, there you go. I, I'm old school. I say once you start messing with one microbe out of five million, you don't know what's going to happen to the other four million. So <laughs> right. I just eat what we always eat. Right. Although my daughter, Oakland, did convince me that kale is fantastic. I was a little resistant to that trend. Nice. But. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining us today yeah. at Dateline Haven. Thanks to our guest, Ben Berkowitz of C-Click Fix, one of my heroes in New Haven, and someone who is making the world better by harnessing the positive promise of the internet. Thanks, as always, to the producer of today's program, WNHH station manager, Lucy Gelman. We're going to take it out, as always, with the Afro-Semitic experience performing Eliyahu Hanafi from the group's 2002 CD, This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. This is Paul Bass wishing you a bundled up burst of winter warmth. Cozy up with us here all day and all night at WNHJ's New Haven's Home for Community Radio for more local talk and music.